Last week, we were in Jonah chapter 1, looking kind of at the book as a whole, and then these opening events of his life, for which many of us are more familiar, as Jonah receives a call from God and then turns away from that and tries to flee. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to focus in particular on Jonah chapter 1, verses 17 through the end of chapter 2, but like we did last week, we're going to read all of the book of Jonah because it is a short book of the Bible, and it's helpful for us to just get the whole lay of the land. So we're going to begin reading in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The prophet writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let him not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them and did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is a light unto our feet and it is a lamp unto our path. And we pray now that you would help us to behold wonderful and beautiful things from your word. That you would write these eternal truths on our hearts that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would help us now that we might be able to understand Father, we pray that you would not allow the enemy to distract us in these moments as we give our attention to your word, the words of this prophet Jonah. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to not be distracted by the distracting things in the text, asking questions of the Scripture that the Scripture does not answer for us, that we would instead focus on what the Scripture does reveal to us, and that you would help us as we focus on it to be matured in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose great name we pray. Amen. Last time we left Jonah drowning in the Mediterranean Sea after chapter 1 traced his sad story against the background of his rebellion and disobedience and the consequences of those actions in his life where he had received the word of the Lord and had turned away from it to be a disobedient prophet and the consequences that broke his communion with God. It was a downward spiral all the way from Jonah from the moment that he turned his back on God and started moving down and away from the Lord as he learned of God's gracious determination to draw us back to himself, whatever the cost might be, even suffering and affliction. A point that Joni Erickson Tata illustrated movingly when she was only a young quadriplegic. When God brings suffering into your life as a young Christian, be it mild or drastic, he is forcing you to decide on issues you have been avoiding. He is pressing you to ask some questions. Am I going to continue to live in two worlds, obeying Christ and my own sinful desires? Or am I going to refuse to worry? Am I going to be grateful in trials? Am I going to abandon my sins? In short, am I going to be like Christ? He provides the suffering, but the choice is yours. God has reasons behind our suffering, and learning some of them will make all the difference in the world. Learning some of them from the belly of the fish, as we'll see this morning in Jonah 2, made all the difference for this prophet. Three points will guide our time together today. Jonah's deliverance, Jonah's psalm, and Jonah's return. Notice first Jonah's deliverance. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As far as the sailors are concerned, there was no hope for the prophet surviving the tempestuous waters that raged against them, verse 15, when they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. Yet in spite of his sin, the Lord is kind and gracious to Jonah. He, verse 17, prepares a fish for him, delivers him from death in the waters, and eventually raises him up to dry land. His sin had taken him down away from the presence of the Lord, outside the land of the Lord, among pagans who do not fear the Lord, into the depths of death itself, seemingly far away from the Lord. But the Lord delivered him. The fish saves Jonah rather than destroying Jonah when he finally ran out of options after trying absolutely everything possible to run away from God so that he didn't have to obey. He fled to Tarshish, but God sent a storm to keep him from running. He slept in the boat, but God sent the captain to keep him from sleeping. He hid among the sailors, but God used the luck of the lot to expose him. He proclaimed his nationality and his religion, but God used the pagans to rebuke him. He offered himself up to die so that he didn't have to obey God, but God appointed a fish to save him. 
Jonah ran and he tried everything within his power to keep running so that he could keep on getting away from obedience to God. And never once does he willingly turn away from the sin that not only brought destruction, but chapter 2, verse 1, distress to himself and everyone around him. But God pursued him and delivered him anyways. Friend, I wonder if that describes your story this morning. Without consciously turning away from sin, God graciously and mercifully, kindly and patiently pursued you when you would have run and run and run and kept trying everything in your power to run and flee the presence of the Lord. Friends, before we ever get to Nineveh in the narrative, we should consider and marvel at the great lengths the great God will go to bring us to the center of his will. And we should consider that Jonah never dreamed that one day he would find himself in these circumstances straying so far from God. Surely he would have naturally thought, I'm a prophet of God. Or he would have considered how his conscience, molded by many years of study and speaking for God, would have preserved him from all types of scandal. Surely Jonah would never be one who would truly turn his back on God. Maybe he would backslide a little bit. Perhaps he would lose a little bit of that spiritual fervor where he wouldn't have quite the fire in his step as he did when he first believed. But the reality was completely different than all of that daydreaming when the moment of crisis came in his life. And Jonah was in no position to consider his office as a prophet or his conscience and all of the things he had learned about God's word. Just like it is so different when you and I are presented with an opportunity for sin. And we are no longer in a position to care about things like the membership that we have here at this church. Or listen to the Christian conscience that we have shaped by God's word week in and week out, sermon in and sermon out. Day in and day out, when your spouse is away, or you're angry with your friends, or you're envious of your neighbors, or you're grumbling at the providences that are in your life because what you think should be your circumstances and what God has provided to be your circumstances are different than you thought that they would be. But you assume, just like Jonah, that all will be well because of a past record of faithfulness and usefulness for God. Because I've been used, I will never be there. Because I have cared, this will never happen to me. Friend, let me ask you, are you substituting your past spiritual record for present obedience to the will of God? Past obedience shames present disobedience for you and the prophet Jonah. And perhaps, friend, God is saying something to you through the hard providences of your life as he tries to wake you up to the startling reality of what is your life right now. Just as Jonah's flight to Tarshish was halted by divine intervention, so now God exercises his sovereign power, leaving no doubt who alone is responsible for Jonah's deliverance. It is not Jonah. It was not the fact that Jonah was a prophet. It was not that Jonah had been faithful. It is not that Jonah had been useful. It was not that Jonah had called himself a Christian. And it will not be that you're a member of this church or have been baptized into the membership of this church or professed to follow Jesus in times past. Jonah's deliverance when, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow him was completely of the Lord. 
But as one pastor noted, it must be the most criticized fish to ever swim in the Mediterranean. Too much discussion about the great fish diverts our attention from the real issue because the narrative is not about the fish at all, which is why Jonah's account does not tell us anything about the fish. He doesn't embellish and tell us how large it is and how great the fins were and how large the teeth were because Jonah doesn't care to talk about the fish. He doesn't tell us anything about what it was like on the inside and did he have enough room and were there two beds and was there anybody else because Jonah doesn't care about the fish. The whole point in these two verses where it's mentioned three times is that something unprecedented happened in Jonah's life. So why does Jonah include it? To teach us something about the great God who rules over great things in Jonah. I wonder if you noticed it as we've read the last two weeks. Nineveh was a great city. And the storm had a great wind that was churning up the waters during the great tempest. Resulting in the men's great fear as they're standing on the boat with Jonah. Before God tossed Jonah overboard through these men and saved him by means of a great fish. All of which are ruled by the great God of this book. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. From city to sea, from the inanimate to the animate, the great God reigns in Jonah. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the great God reigns in Jonah. From his duress to his distress, the great God reigns in Jonah. And this God rescues Jonah by the great fish from the great depths to keep his covenant promises to Israel. And though Jonah was both rebellious and reckless in life and in conduct, being careless with his life and the life of everyone else around him, God wouldn't let him run away. Friends, did you notice it last week and this week? Jonah's sin did not make him thoughtful of the people around him. Nobody here sins thinking about the people that will be hurt by their sin. If you sinned like that, you wouldn't sin because nobody sins in their right mind. Jonah disrupted his life. He disrupted their life. He was reckless and careless, destructive and harmful to everyone around him. And God used providence to arrest his life and seize him to get his attention. And though he spoke far better than he knew, he certainly spoke more than he believed when he learned that the great God of heaven who made the sea reigns. When that sea ceased raging... And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow him up. The prophet tasted something of what Martin Luther called God's merciful wrath when God brought him low and got him alone and forced him to decide on issues that he had been avoiding when he rescued him. Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord, doing everything he can to get him away. And God dramatically intervened to slow him down. Jonah's deliverance. Notice second Jonah's psalm. Look with me again in chapter 2, verse 1. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. If you'd like to write in your Bible, beside chapter 2, verse 1, you can write chapter 4, verse 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
and I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Just because Jonah's situation is made right and he's delivered does not mean that his actions were right. And in chapter 2, we see that he is being taught a greater work. A greater work than sending the fish takes place in the heart of the prophet after God slows Jonah down and brings Jonah low and gets Jonah alone in verse 1, the belly of the fish. In there, the submarine of his salvation, Jonah found a newfound appreciation for his breathing when, verse 1, he finds himself praying. The very discipline the captain had called him to when he was sleeping in chapter 1. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 6. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. But Jonah refused while he was on the run. Brothers and sisters, does that characterize your life? Whereas many times in our life we find ourselves most godly when we are sinful, often when we're sinful we also find ourselves the least prayerful. Jonah here, mouth shut, running from the Lord, refuses to pray, hardened to the things of God. He will not do anything, and God continues to whittle away at his life, forcing Jonah into a position where he will bow in prayer. He kept his mouth shut, so God kept him in difficult and dark places until there was nowhere else to run and nothing else to do except pray. Notice how startling it is. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then... Finally, after all of chapter one, the running and the storm and the being tossed into the sea and the literally being swallowed by a great fish, I'll pray. Fine, I'll pray. Finally, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. Brothers and sisters, because God is patient and not punitive, he sometimes will keep us, you and I, in difficult and dark places and will bring us low and will get us alone where there is nowhere else to run and no one else to turn to so that we might finally pray. And in those moments when it doesn't matter who you know or where you studied or how much you earn or where you're a member of the church, we do what we should have done all along. Bow before the great God who has revealed himself in Jonah and ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Desperate. In God's patience, Jonah finally prays. Prayer is the path toward a fruit-producing, fruit-abiding life. Friends, how foolish are we to think that we can carry on without continually talking to God and listening to Him in prayer? Do you want to be prepared for the days ahead? Pray. Do you want to be equipped for the future to serve the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Pray. Do you want to be fortressed against the temptations that are in your life that keep dogging you at every turn? 
pray. Do you want to be protected from the evil one who would just as sure destroy your life as he would ruin everyone else's life around you? Pray. Cultivate a relationship with God in prayer, not only publicly in services of corporate worship, but privately in our lives. Jonah prayed when he was alone, when he was finally by himself, and when he finally did, a floodgate of emotions burst open because he really didn't want to die after all, did he? Chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, you heard my voice. Jonah told the sailors, I would rather die. Perhaps some of you here have said the same thing. But when Jonah prayed, we learned that Jonah did not want to die after all. He cried out to the Lord because he realizes for the first time that he had made a huge mistake and he had finally come to see it for what it was. All of that running, all of that disobedience, all of that hiding had led straight to death. The belly of Sheol. And friends, that's where it will lead in your life. All of that running and all of that hiding and all of that sin And all of that disobedience will take you straight to hell and to death. At the lowest point of his life physically, at the lowest point of his life spiritually, when he had finally hit rock bottom and it did not matter who he was, a prophet, or where he was from, the people of Israel, or what he had done in the past, been useful for the Lord, When he had no one else to turn to and nothing else to do, verse 2, God heard Jonah's voice, even though he had been so sinful and so disobedient. Brothers and sisters, because God is patient and not punitive, the great God of the book of Jonah always hears the prayer of the repentant because the prayer of the repentant recognizes that God and God alone is in control. You see, when Jonah was above water in the book of Jonah... He had tried to call all of the shots. I'm not listening to God. I'm going away from Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not listening to God. I'm getting on the boat. I'm going to live my life this way. I'm not listening to God. No one can make me obey. Throw me into the water. He wanted control. Control over what God expected of him to do. Control over what God expected, where God expected him to go. Control over what God would actually call him to do. All because Jonah lacked compassion for his enemies. He did not want to preach to the Assyrians who had destroyed his own homeland. Friends, how much sin and disruption and destruction in your life is because you are pining for control. Control over your family. And over your spouse and over your kids, and over your career, and over your job, and your boss, and your neighbors. How much disruption comes into our lives because of the illusion of control that I can make this be the way that I want it to be. Jonah's life is here to tell us that that is an illusion that does not exist. Above water, he thought he had it. But when he was below water, he recognized for the first time that everything that he had pined after and grasped for was an illusion. And now he knows that God was in control 
all along. And it bursts out in his prayer with all of this emotion. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. And what Jonah certainly thought were the final moments of his life as a dying man. He cried out to God. And he recognized God's sovereign hand guiding all of the details of his life to this very moment as the waves of death literally crashed over him and overwhelmed him and pulled him down. Friends, it is only then that God intervenes in his life. Verse 6. That you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When he could sink no lower... When he thought that he had been banished from God's sight, when he thought that he was destined for death, when he thought that he had sinned himself outside of the reach of God's grace, it was at that precise moment that God brought his life up from the pit and dramatically reverses the downward descent in the book of Jonah, doing the absolute impossible, making the dead man live again. Friends, Jonah's life is just like our life. When we hit rock bottom and we have nowhere else to go and we finally reach out to God and ask God to do what we cannot, to intervene when what, in what we cannot control, it is in that moment when we are most desperate and most broken and we come to him with all of our baggage and all of our sin and all of our sorrows and all of the things that are outside of our grasp that God in his mercy reverses the downward descent in our lives and he saves us. In those moments... When we think that it's possible to send ourselves outside of the reach of God's grace, we learn in Jonah that that is absolutely impossible. You might think that you've done that today, and I'm here to tell you that it is impossible for you to send yourself beyond the reach of God's saving and merciful grace. Jonah learned the hard way. His sin would take him all the way to the brink of death. God gave life. Jonah. So he locked here, locked inside his watery casket. He stopped pleading and he starts praising God as God mercifully keeps that fish's mouth shut to keep him alive. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And you can just think of all of the things that he's remembered of the Lord, where God was merciful, where God was gracious, past providences, his kindness, what God's word taught. You can think of all of the things that are flooding his mind now. This is the type of God that I serve. What was I thinking? And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, God's very presence. When Jonah's outside of the land and far away from God, Jonah's prayer comes into God's presence. Those who pay regard to vain idols, like control, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. 
And what song is found on Jonah's lips? Verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. The Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It belongs to the Lord. And it begins in the very place where rebellion formerly existed in Jonah's life. Having experienced it in his own life, how God's power came to rescue him from literally the jaws of death itself, Jonah, as an expression of gratitude, repents and he praises God, making promises to offer sacrifices and fulfill vows. Friends, restoration to fellowship with God must begin there, at the very place where there was rebellion. It is only when Jonah finally realizes, I'm not in control. Salvation comes from God. God alone is ruling all of the details of my life. I must obey and I must repent of all of the disobedience and not believing all of those things. Only then does Jonah experience God's mercy because there he realized what we realize that God is in control, the one who made the seas and the dry land, that salvation belongs to him and him alone. Do you know that? It's not lost to me that here today at this church, with this membership and this congregation after the service that we just had, that many of you would say, I know that. Do you believe that? And does your life reflect that you believe that? Would the people who know you best in this room say that your life reflects belief that salvation alone is from the Lord? That salvation from sin comes from God who forgives sinners? Believer, repent is the message of Jonah for you. And perhaps you're here today and you're not a believer and everything I'm saying sounds incredibly Strange, we're here to tell you that this message for believers is the same message that is here for you. That whether you have been at church today for the first time or you've been at this church and many other churches many times, that it's the same message, a message of repentance to turn away from sin, to turn away from rebellion, to turn away from disobedience, to turn away from running from God and to turn toward God, to turn toward obedience, to turn toward his word, to turn toward listening to him. And friend, we are here to tell you today that you can do that with God's gracious aid by pleading the mercy of Christ, that God will forgive you and he will save you, that God will atone for your sins through what he did through Jesus Christ on the cross, if you will plead his mercy, he will forgive you today, he will forgive you tomorrow, he will forgive you a year from now because he is a God who is patient, not punitive. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that there is no sin that you could have committed, whether it's alcoholism or immorality or drug addiction or something else where God would not forgive you if you turn to him in Christ. Friends, come to Christ Trust in Christ, the merciful God of the book of Jonah. And if you want to know more about that, we specialize in that message. We would love to talk to you. I'd love to find you after the service. I'm going to be standing at that tunnel after the service. One of our elders would love to talk to you. The big tall guy named Tim would love to talk to you. And he can port you to shorter people like myself around the building. So find somebody. We'd love to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come and speak with someone today. 
Jonah had been in God's presence the whole time after all. Do you notice that in Jonah's narrative? He's running from God's presence and what he finds and what he thinks to be the farthest he could possibly be from God's presence, that even there his prayer reaches God and that he's in God's presence after all, that God's presence is not spatially located in the book of Jonah. And though he turned from God's living voice, he had now returned at least in part to God's written word as a desperate man utilizing all of the resources that he had been given, the Psalms. One of the great exercises you could do this afternoon is just go reread Jonah chapter 2. And as you're doing that, if you have a Bible that has cross-references, just go find all of the Psalms that are messaged there. And you can go back and just write them in the side of your Bible, or you can go and read them. And you can imagine that Jonah is doing the very thing that you're doing when you're praying. That all of the things that Jonah has ever learned about the Lord from Scripture, it all comes crashing upon him and bursting out in all of this emotion as he pleads the mercy of God that has been revealed to him in the Word of God. That in those moments, his greatest asset was knowing God's Word. Jonah's deliverance, Jonah's psalm. Notice third, Jonah's return. Look with me in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. His sin had taken him down, but the Lord had brought him up again, and he had done so unceremoniously for the prophet. But the scary part of this for those of us who know the rest of the story is that Jonah experiences all of this spiritual renewal while he's still struggling spiritually. What we'll see the next time we're in Jonah, in Jonah chapter 3, is that this temporary repentance is still a season where Jonah is struggling spiritually, and yet God is merciful to him. The God who knew that Jonah was still struggling spiritually still returned Jonah safely to use him anyways. That even though Jonah's situation is made right, it doesn't mean that his actions were right, and it doesn't mean that Jonah understood all or fully what was going to be required of him. God worked for Jonah even while God continued to work on Jonah in the book of Jonah because he is patient, not punitive. And that's not a message that's unique to the book of Jonah. If we fast forward to the New Testament, we'll see at the end of many of the apostles' life, one of the apostles that we've given a lot of attention to in recent months, Simon Peter, this exact same situation brought back to Christ at the very point of his departure. At the resurrection, he was drawn near to the fire of burning coals, reminiscent of the very type of situation that he would have found himself in on the night that he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And sitting there around a fire again, just like he sat around that fire previously where he had denied the Lord, he's now face to face with the Lord and Jesus is speaking to him. And once it had been, do you know him at the previous fire? Do you know him? And Peter's response was, I swear to God, I do not know him. And now Jesus says to him, do you love me? Do you love him? The issue was the same. Like Jonah, Peter's descent is rapid. He fled from Christ's word. He fled from Christ's presence. But he was arrested by God's providence. And like Jonah, he was brought back to Christ's word because he had remembered what the Lord had spoken. And like Jonah, his weeping had brought him all the way back into the presence of God. Friends, I wonder if that describes some of you in your life. At the point of despair and brokenness, God meets us. 
And that is where this Jonah, broken though he is, becomes the great preacher of the New Testament. It's actually how the New Testament describes Jonah. We keep speaking of Jonah as a prophet, but I want you to hear how Matthew describes him in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so it will be for the Son of Man that he will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Luke actually says the exact same thing. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, Luke chapter 12, verse 29. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah spoke better than he knew in chapter 1. And his life would preach better than he would have thought by the end of the book of Jonah. Preaching to the people not only that God is patient and not punitive, but preaching to them resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. His life pointing forward to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doing for us what Jonah could not. Jonah had to acknowledge his sin. Jesus bore our sin. Jonah had to repent because he was a sinner. Jesus never had to repent. He endured our sin on the cross as a substitute for us. Jonah was cast into the depths because he was a sinner. Jesus was condemned for our sin because we are sinners. Jonah stopping short everywhere along the way, but preaching a better message than he would have ever known possible at this time. Jonah's return is even now pointing us forward. And it's reminding us of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that God does the impossible, saving Jonah, resurrecting Jesus, and forgiving you. Brothers and sisters who are believers in here, I wonder if you've forgotten the overwhelming gratitude that you felt when you first believed. It characterizes so many of our lives. In fact, we say things like, I used to be on fire for the Lord. And now we might describe ourselves as cold hardened to the things of God. Or we've just matured and we're more realistic. Brothers and sisters, the return is a reminder of the great mercy and it never changes. The great mercy of God to forgive great sinners of great sin because he's been patient with you and not punitive, not treating you as your sins deserve. Jonah was being shaped by providence as God sought to teach him lessons and force him to decide on issues that he had been avoiding. I wonder, friend, if that also describes you. Avoiding and refusing to decide on issues, thinking that you can put off repentance, thinking that you can put off obedience, thinking that you can put off compliance. Jonah learned the hard way. The question from Jonah is, will you? 
a point Joni Erickson Tano once again illustrates movingly when she was only a young quadriplegic. She also said this with that same quote, I really don't mind the inconvenience of being paralyzed if faithfulness to God while in this wheelchair will bring him glory. It's been about five decades for Joni. I wonder if that would describe the providences of your life. I really don't mind the inconvenience of blank. If faithfulness to God while in this blank will bring him glory. And if we're honest, we probably can't say that. But today, as I look back, astonishing words, I am convinced that the whole ordeal of my paralysis was inspired by love. I wasn't a rat in a maze. I wasn't the brunt of some cruel divine joke. God has reasons behind my suffering. And learning some of them has made all of the difference in the world. The difference of that providence is purpose. But there's a purpose to the providence of your life. And when you learn that, it will make all of the difference in the world for the way that you are experiencing it. That it is not God trying to get back at you. It is not God being punitive with you. It is God patiently provoking you and drawing you back to himself at any cost necessary. Even affliction. Even suffering. So that you might be able to say with Jonah, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help our unbelief. And Father, we thank you for the message of the book of Jonah. You are a God gracious and merciful, not treating us as our sins deserve. And Father, part of that is seen today and that you have gathered us once again with the people of God to hear the word of God read aloud and preached, to sing with the people of God and to be encouraged by the reminder of our very presence here that we're not alone, we're not forgotten, we're not forsaken, that you do love us, that you've been kind and merciful to us. Father, we ask today for those of us who are believers that you would forgive us for the way that we grumble about your providence and that we fail to see the purpose of it, that you are using all of the providences in our lives and the lives of those around us in which we are participants as well to remind us that you alone are the great God and you are in control. And Father, for those of us who are not believers, may they hear today for the first time. May they see today for the first time. Would you remove the heart of stone and insert the heart of flesh so that they might be overwhelmed for the first time, that you have been gracious, gracious and patient, drawing them to yourself through all of these providences so that they might know salvation belongs to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty friend of sinners, in whose great name we pray. 
and now who we praise as we sing together. Amen.